everybody, and welcome to this season's first episode of the Nesson College Hockey Podcast. I'm Dakota Randall alongside Logan Mullen. Uh, Logan, how are you? How are you doing? I'm great, Code Man. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so our last episode was on March 10th, previewing the Hockey East Tournament. Uh, and nothing of note has happened in the world since then, so I figured we'd get right into recapping last weekend's games. Uh, <laughs> obvious, no, obviously the elephant in the room is COVID-19. Uh, it's already impacting the season. Some games were canceled over the weekend. Uh, we have more cancellations moving forward. Uh, it's going to be a fluid situation. So obviously we're going to talk about it. Um, we're going to spend some time this episode discussing it. And uh, it's not going away. So it's got to be addressed. I think new hockey's commissioner, Steve Metcalf, in case you don't know, hockey's has a new commissioner. Steve Metcalf comes over from UNH. Uh, he was internal operations over there, I believe. Uh, I think he offered a lot of great information on the league strategy during a press conference a couple weeks ago. Logan, you were listening in on that. Uh, so we'll give you our feedback and play some of that sound. Um, so again, we'll get to all that in a little bit. But first, I want to go over this weekend's Nesson College Sports schedule, including Hockey East. And just to, you know, a note, and we'll probably say this throughout the season, uh, the schedule is tentative because, you know, again, with cancellations and, and the coronavirus pandemic not really going anywhere, all these games and times are subject to change. But as of right now, uh, currently, it all starts Friday at 2 p.m. with a Hockey East women's matchup between Providence and Boston College. And then at 6 p.m., Hockey East men's uh, UMass at Boston College. And then Saturday, uh, we were supposed to have UMass Lowell Northeastern. That game has been postponed as Northeastern has canceled all winter sports until December 18th, I believe. Uh, so we'll give you updates on that situation as it develops. Uh, but at 4.30, we have men's Hockey East, Boston College at UMass. That's on Nesson Plus. And then at 6 p.m., we have Women's Hockey East, Holy Cross at Nesson. That game is on Nesson. And remember, all of our hockey's coverage is brought to you by Rockland Trust, where each relationship matters. Uh, so again, we'll get into the Metcalf sound. I want to recap the first weekend in Hockey East first with our three stars. Again, there were only two games for men's Hockey East. That was a, a home and home or two game series either way between UMass and UConn, I believe. Uh, but there was far more action on the women's side. So Logan, we'll have you do your three stars on the men's and then I'll do mine for the women. Yeah, the only games that ended up getting played this weekend were UMass versus UConn, and uh, that went 101 in favor of UMass. Um, so we're picking from a pretty narrow pool of players. So the number three star of the week is going to be Aaron Bollinger, a freshman defenseman from UMass. Uh, he had two assists in his collegiate debut, so smashing start for the New York native. Uh, the next one would be Cassidy Bose. He's our second star. Of the week, he is another freshman uh, forward for UConn. He, too, had a pair of assists over the course of the weekend. And then the number one star would be Oliver Chow, a senior forward from UMass who had a goal and two assists, even though – or I almost said even though uh, they lost. That's incorrect. It combined seven goals for uh, UMass over the weekend, and Chow had a hand in three of them. Good stuff. And, yeah, you mentioned two freshmen there, I believe – it was a strong weekend for, for freshmen uh, across the league in men's and women's, um, as we'll see in my three stars of the week on the women's side. First up, Gabby Roy, freshman forward for BC. She was excellent. She scored four goals in Boston College's season-opening win over UNH. Uh, for those of you listening at home, I'm wearing a UNH jersey today. I'm very transparent in my UNH bias, which uh, I don't apologize for. So tough opening weekend for the Wildcats, but great for Gabby Roy. Again, she scored four goals and uh, the Eagles' victory to start the season. She added an assist next night for five points. Uh, again, what was a great opening weekend for Boston College. 
Uh, my number two star, Ty Chan, freshman goalie for UConn. She stopped 33 or 34 shots, including six in overtime in her collegiate debut. It's a good way to start. Huskies eventually picked up the win in a shootout. Uh, so great first game for Chan, really impressive. Uh, and then another, you know, relative youngster, Ida Kwapala. I never, I never really pronounced that right, I don't think, but I'm trying. Uh, she's a sophomore forward for Maine. Uh, she had three goals against Holy Cross over the first weekend, uh, helping the Black Bears to earn a split to start the season. Uh, two of her goals came Saturday in the loss, but overall, a great weekend for her. Uh, unfortunately, we won't be able to see her or any Maine athletics in action for a while because today, uh, on Wednesday, they announced that they will be pausing all winter activities, I believe, till December 8th. So, obviously, unfortunate news there, but it is what it is at this point. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, uh, nationally, again, we're not we're not solely focused on Hockey East here, but obviously, we'll have a heavy slant towards Hockey East. But I do want to touch. We are going to touch on national programs throughout the season. Um, not a lot has happened on the national scene yet. I think only the Big Ten has played. Maybe a few other schools. I think Bemidji State played a game. I forget against two. But um, one non-hockey's club I wanted to mention was Michigan. They're 4-0. And the Bruins uh, Bruins fans have interest because of Johnny Beecher, first-round pick uh, in last year's draft, I believe. Um, Logan, uh, you've covered him uh, rather extensively. You did Bruins prospect rankings uh, recently. And just in general, what are you looking forward to? What are you looking to see from Beecher in the second season with the Wolverines that maybe he didn't have in the first year, or just in general, your assessment of where he is and, and where you'd like him to, where you'd like to see him take his game. This well, season. you'd probably like to see him finish a little bit more. He has four shots already this season, but I think if I remember correctly, one of the things he told me earlier this year was that he was working on just shooting a little bit more. And obviously with that finishing, that was one of the big knocks actually on him when he got drafted was that, you know, for a first round pick and a guy that you would ideally hope would become a top six center, doesn't shoot a whole lot, doesn't have the best of finishing touches, but that actually came along pretty well last year during his freshman year. He got a lot more comfortable carrying the puck as the season went on and he had a couple of just absolute snipes. So scoreless so far, no goals, no assists this year. So you probably look to see him shoot a little bit more and obviously finish a little bit more. He's now centering a top line too. Um, so last year he was mainly like a middle six third line pivot, but he's, uh, already getting chances centering a first line this year. Um, another guy too. the Bruins have two prospects at Michigan too, Jack Becker, All right, uh, right. Yes. 2015 seventh round pick. This is his senior year. So he, in a sense might be a more interesting player to watch because he has basically no choice, but to go pro after this year, uh, he has two assists already. Um, and he's, he projects to be more of like a depth forward. Um, but I, I believe he's captaining uh, Michigan this year as well. And that's another Bruins prospect to keep an eye on. I know one thing, whenever I watch Beecher play that pops to me right away is his speed. I saw a highlight, uh, uh, I think a, a, like a week or so ago, um, of just some closing speed he had on the penalty kill. Uh, I thought that was particularly impressive. I don't know if that if that's something that you've noticed as well when you watch it. Well, for his size, he moves well. Because, like, even yeah. when he was just 18, he was a big kid, but he could actually move pretty well. Sometimes you worry with those bigger guys, especially in college, um, that, you know, they're, they're going to be off a little bit or a little slow or they still need to kind of get comfortable. But, like, his skating form is, you know, fine for a guy his age. Um, so, yeah, he, 
you're you're very perceptive. His closing speed and his speed altogether for a, a 19 year old, I think, or maybe 20 now, um, kid of his size is actually pretty impressive. Yeah, that's what I more so mean is yeah, for a player of his size, um, you know, it makes you wonder. You know, assuming he develops even more, um, just just a good sign. Yeah, well, and, and nowadays you need that in the NHL too. I mean, especially by the time he would actually be ready to play in the NHL, it's trending in such a direction where like, it's great if you're big and you can throw weight, but it, unless you can keep up with the pace of the game and like really drive a line, like you look at, I think Charlie Coyle is probably a good example of guys that can drive a line, move well, but are also big. Um, right. You know, you, you, you need all of that. Like it, you can't just skirt by anymore by being six foot five, 230 pounds and slow as all get out. Right. Agreed. So yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on both of those uh, players over at Michigan as the season goes on. And uh, there are Bruins do have some, uh, some, some prospects and hockey as well that I'm sure we'll get to eventually. Uh, but right now uh, I want to get into the Steve Metcalf press conference. Uh, this was a couple of weeks ago, sort of the, you know, the beginning of the season press conference. And uh, as you can imagine, COVID-19 was a big talking point um, just how the league is preparing and what their strategy is this season. And I thought, uh, Metcalf had a lot of interesting things to say um, and a lot that I think made sense. Um, before we get into it, Logan, you you listened in for the whole thing. Did you have any particular takeaway from it? Not really. I mean, I guess the biggest thing would be that they seemed prepared for as many potential options or maybe options isn't the right word, but potential hurdles, roadblocks, as could be. I don't know if they suspected they would get you know, punched in the face with them right away like they did where you already have schools canceling winter sports or postponing, I should say, not canceling. Um, yeah, that is true. We should use that language. Yeah, there has been postponing. Yeah, because some of it, I mean, at a certain point, it's out of hockey East's control, right? Like it's a school by school decision. So the school decides it doesn't want to play. The school decides it doesn't want to play. Like there's nothing hockey East can really do about that. So it sounds like they had most of their bases covered. I don't think they're too thrown off by anything. I just don't know now in retrospect if they were ready for all these changes to happen so quickly where you're automatically scrapping marquee games um, the, the first weekend um, and you have schools, notable schools at that, like Northeastern saying we're putting a one month pause on this. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. And uh, I, I want to pick it up on the other side of uh, this audio clip that we're going to play. I got a few, few excerpts that I thought were for noteworthy uh, from Metcalf. Um, first of which has, he, he sort of talked about the league strategy in terms of testing, cont contact tracing, if there is a positive tests. Um, and so I think it's interesting to hear him talk about that. And then, you know, we can compare it to other leagues that we've seen. So let's play that clip real quick. You know, when positive tests occur, then, you know, the contract tracing goes into play. And um, so then you, you know, you follow the contact tracing and see how many individuals are impacted by that. And then, you know, those, um, you know, those kids are going to quarantine and, you know, you're shut, shutting down either a portion of your team or your entire team. And um, so the institutions work through that with their, you know, with their uh, medical staffs. Uh, we've set up a process by, you know, we're going to have a, a group that meets weekly to uh, look at uh, situations that have arisen or uh, unavailability of teams. And uh, so this group, including athletic directors and medical folks, will meet once a week 
and uh, we'll, we'll review where we are and, and if there's any unavailability for that weekend. And uh, so we can make the adjustments, um, you know, the adjustments necessary, I think is. Okay, so yeah, I, I think, I, I, I like what you had to say there. My only thing is, you know, you sort of touched on this beforehand. Um, and again, hockey's can only do, can only handle what, or can, can control what it can control. But, it, you know, if Justin Turner of the Dodgers, it, it, it takes a day or so for him to get his test result back in the middle of the World Series. You do sort of wonder how, not just in hockey East, but, you know, anything below the four major sports, what the testing is going to look like. And, you know, if, if there is some sort of lag and you wonder if there's a positive test or inconclusive, how that's going to affect things on a game day basis. Um, and so I just think it's going to be interesting to monitor. And I also wonder, you know, we've seen in a lot of the professional leagues where at the beginning of the season, there are some cases um, and maybe an outbreak on a team and they postpone games, they do things virtual. And then as the season goes on, either the situation gets better or the, the leagues or the team start to navigate it and manage it um, rather than sort of sticking to the plan the whole way through it sort of evolves. And so I just, I think hockey East has a, has a good plan and a good strategy. I just wonder how it will evolve um, as the situation continues to evolve through the winter. I mean, yeah, again, there's only so much within their control, right? So right. Like, if, if things really get bad, that things are going to take priority. Like college football right now is an absolute mess. Um, right. And there is, you know, it, for many, for many schools in hockey, this is like their number one sport, Northeastern number one sport, BU number one sport. But there's still a lot less money at stake than there is in college football. And I wonder what the, the threshold is where it's like, okay, how bad has this gotten? Um, that said, all you can do is have the right protocols in place if you are hell bent on making this work. And it sounds like, you know, within the realm of reason, their testing and contract and contact tracing efforts are where they need to be, at least to try and pull this thing off. Agreed. And I do wonder um, how much, if, if the school is doing mostly remote learning, how that'll factor into things. Because yeah. the concerns with a collegiate program is, you know, if the athletes, if, let's say you have an outbreak on the team, and then those players are going out into their school's community, um, how obviously that could be a potentially disastrous situation. If all the schools are remote, you'd think that would mitigate some of the risk. Obviously, that doesn't prevent you know, players or those players and then going out into the actual city and there are a whole, there obviously are a bunch of, you know, things that could go wrong, but I do wonder if students being home and the players themselves essentially being in their own bubble, whether they're on in their student athlete apartments or whatever it may be, um, if that may, you know, contribute to managing the situation or not having it get out of control as you've seen in other areas of the country. So we'll see. Um, so next clip I want to play uh, is Metcalf discussing how the league built in flex weekends to make up postponed games, which I think uh, is, is the, obviously the smart strategy to have given what we've seen uh, in other sports leagues around the country. We've built in uh, what we're calling flex weekends, but um, I guess you might also call them makeup weekends where we've, we've built in a, some weekends or a series of dates for every team uh, where it you know, gives us an opportunity to do makeup games on these, on these weekends with, Without conflict with uh, with conference games, and uh, so hopefully you know we can get ourselves in a situation where everyone's played double round robin, uh, both the men's and women's side, and and hopefully we've played some additional games as well. But 
but by building in these flex weekends, that's the uh, the mechanism I think we're we've put in place to to um, to reschedule the games that we that undoubtedly will get missed at some point. All right, we're back. So Logan, uh, what is what is your your takeaway from the league strategy with flex weekends? I think it's a smart play, uh, especially with what we've seen with the NFL. They didn't sort of plan ahead with these types of things. Uh, it's been an issue. It was an issue in baseball to some extent. So what do you, what, what was your takeaway from that? Yeah. I mean, it, it's shrewd, right? Like it at least shows that they were acutely aware of the potential scheduling mishaps that could come with this. Now the obvious problem is what happens if you're having to push off so many games, like does the flex weekend idea go up in smoke because now you have all these Northeastern and main games that you're going to have to reschedule. Right. Um, so there are things like that that I think we'll just have to see how it plays out. But to me, if nothing else, it shows that like they, they were very well aware of, you know, the the scheduling upheaval that was probably going to happen periodically throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder how, you know, schools pausing all their winter activities still mid to late December. Do the, has the league built in enough flex weekends? Right. Accommodate what could happen. We don't know that yet. We'll find out. But it's definitely going to be interesting to monitor going forward. Uh, so the next clip I want to play is Metcalf talking about whether he's confident they can have anything approaching a normal season. I think it's already been determined that they won't. Uh, we'll see from this point forward if things sort of stabilize a little bit. But the fact that you've already had two schools cancel about a month worth month worth of action shows that it's not going to be a normal season. I don't think anybody expected it. Metcalf was transparent in that he doesn't expect there to be a normal season. Uh, but anyway, here is the clip. Our goal is to try and get all of our teams over – you know, the double round robin um, schedule of games. So on the men's side, 20 games, on the women's side, 18. And if we're able to play some additional games on top of that, um, obviously that would be fabulous. Uh, we think the protocols that we put in place give ourselves the best chance. So I guess, um, you know, trying to put everything in a, you know, appropriate perspective, I think, um, you know, I think there is some optimism, but I think, you know, we all have to be very realistic. I read the same newspapers that you do, and I see where the cases are in New England. And certainly over the last week or two, uh, those numbers have risen. Um, you know, the, does that uh, make our lives a, a, a little more difficult? I, I'm sure the answer is yes. Um, but, you know, our institutions are, have been great partners. We are, we are trying to establish protocols which give us the best chance. And yeah, so I think, again, I think hockey is being realistic about the situation, which is good. And I think that is reflected in the decision-making that they've made and the strategy they put in place, uh, that they're not under some illusion that this is going to be just smooth sailing the whole way. And I think the, the decisions they've made, have again, have reflected that. And I think they've been smart. Um, again, just how close we get to normal season remains to be seen. Um, I think the, the hope for everybody in all sports is that if the vaccine truly arrives somewhat early next year, again, who knows, I'm not going to go down the vaccine rabbit hole, but you hope that the, you've seen some people say that we might get close to normalcy by May, who knows? Um, but again, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's just the simple fact that commissioner Metcalf in the, the league is, uh, is, is not lying to itself. Um, yeah. Right. It's good. That's, that's all that matters, really, is that they're honest about, you know, the, the challenges that are in front of them. That if they get through this season, they should be popping champagne bottles. Um, right. and, and 
just because it's going to be a challenge for everybody. I mean, it's the same thing for college football. It's the same thing for college basketball, uh, you know, men's and women's um, and same thing with college hockey. Like it's just, the goal should be to get as normal of a season as possible under the current circumstances. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to resemble anything we've seen before. So I think as long as you have an idea of, okay, how can we evolve with the situation that's in front of us, but also have it be as close to what people are used to and what we expect and what we hope. Um, you know, I, I think that was probably the mindset that they went through, um, when, when they were kind of building the schedule out and figuring out how they actually were going to pull this off. Um, but I mean, even if they're, I want to say even if they're crawling to the finish, but like, even if they have to be plenty flexible, I mean, if we get to a place where somebody wins hockey East and they play through the season, like that should be considered a massive win uh, for the conference. As long as you've mitigated like health damage right. and stuff too, you know, if everyone's, getting sick and you've got people getting myocarditis and, you know, super spreading events and all that stuff. Like that's one thing, but uh, if they get through the season with relatively minimal issue, I mean, that's a big win for them. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, what'll be most important to fans and players um, just focusing purely on hockey is not just the pandemic is that when, when the hockey's tournament comes around and eventually the national tournament, they want those, those tournaments to feel legitimate not feel like they were compromised in any sort of way or was sort of slapped together or just whatever, whoever ends up winning that there was some sort of asterisk. And I think we saw in baseball, we had all those rash of cases at the beginning of the season and the league sort of found its bearing and stabilized and it became a non-issue. And then eventually the playoffs were great. Obviously there weren't fans until the very end, but those games, the, 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 you know, it felt like for the most part, normal major league baseball postseason. Um, Hockey obviously was great. Basketball, sure, the format at the beginning was strange with the bubble, but the NBA playoffs eventually were great. And then remains to be seen with the NFL. I think we're on track to having a largely normal NFL playoffs. It might be in a bubble, so we'll have to see about that. But I think as long as Hockey East and and the national tournament eventually, you know, when, when we get there, they resemble what they normally do and the champions feel legitimate and the tournaments went off you know, with relative normalcy, then I think everyone will be happy, even if the road to get to that point was rocky and it took some time to, to sort of, you know, to navigate. Yeah. Um, okay. And the last clip we're going to play. Uh, so in case you don't know, hockey's teams are going to do conference only schedules, which obviously is a departure from what they're, what they normally would do. Um, and, you know, some of, you know, it hasn't been, I wouldn't say a polarizing decision, but, you know, there's been some debate about it. So here's Metcalf's explanation for why Hockey East is doing a conference-only schedule. I guess relatively early on, we identified doing a conference-only opponent schedule as the best option for us. We, we thought there was a couple factors here. One is obviously geography. Um, we're all in New England, and certainly for a number of months, New England has been, you know, comparatively um, decent uh, situation as far as the coronavirus cases goes. Um, so being within a, you know, within the New England states, uh, states and, and geographically uh, as close as we were to each other, uh, and then we could limit overnights and do much of our travel on, on game days, we thought that was really important. Um, all of our institutions are all division one schools. 
And uh, for them to get to the testing standards and protocols that we put in place, um, you know, I don't want to say was was easy, but it was uh, that was a place that we got to as a group. Um, you know, like I said, I don't want to say easily, but we, but we got there as a group and and we prioritized that and we were very, I guess, uh, like minded and where we needed to be. All right. And I don't know about you, Logan. You know, I understand why some people say, well, how Quinnipiac isn't necessarily far away from, you know, Quinnipiac is closer to some schools than Maine, for instance. Right. So I understand why some people say, well, come on, can't you just do a non-conference schedule with the teams that are, you know, in the relatively in the region, whether it be in New York or Connecticut or whatever. Um, and I get that. But I just think for the sake of whether it be just logistics or everybody being on the same page, and just mitigating as much risk as possible. I think just keeping it within just hockey's makes the most sense. Yeah. And that's the thing is keeping it all on the same page. Like, you know, that I think if you really like put everything into a vacuum, the, the differences between like ECAC and hockey's protocols probably are not all that different, but at right. the same time, it's just like, you know, that everybody's got governed under the same, you know, regulatory body when you're hockey East teams. And so it's like, why take the risk, you know, just have it be consistent. Um, I have no qualms with it. I, I think in some respects it, you know, makes it unique. I get that there's probably, you know, some disappointment that you can't see Quinnipiac versus UConn, but at the same time, um, you know, when else will we ever get a purely hockey East slate? So, you know, the, something to think about yeah i don't think anyone's crying over losing uh games against aic umass yeah right i don't think you know that is you know I, I, it is a bummer you won't get to see boston college versus denver or you know umass versus uh north dakota or something like that you know that is a bummer but again as you said i, I it makes sense um i don't have any issues with it so um again i thought yeah it just, just to summarize i think you know i i think Steve Metcalf made a lot of good points and I think he laid out the league strategy well. And um, I think it shows that they had a plan and that they're being realistic. And so I'll give them credit for that. Uh, so, okay, moving on, we don't have too much time left, but I do want to get into, into some rankings. Logan and I both have come up with our initial hockey East power rankings. Logan, you go first. Okay. I don't think ours are really that far off. Probably not. Should I start bottom to top or go top to bottom? Um, Bottom to top. I'll go top to bottom. Okay. Let's get crazy, you know. All right. Vermont, I have an 11. Merrimack, I have a 10. Maine, I have a 9. That's pretty much, you know, as anyone would expect. Um, I have 11, 10, 9, 8. 8, I have uh, UNH. Logan. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to go backwards, and it's giving me a tough time. Um, so I have UNH at 8, UConn at 7th, BU at 6th. Northeastern at fifth, PC at fourth, uh, UMass Lowell at third, UMass second, and Boston College first. Yeah, ours are very similar. A little bit more, a little bit of difference down at the bottom. Uh, so I'll start uh, Boston College number one. Um, and just to touch on BC for a second, I think they're, I mean, they're the runaway preseason number one in hockey. You, you could easily make the case that they're the best team in the country. A lot of people have voted North Dakota, and they're obviously they're a great program. Uh, I think Boston College has the most talent in the nation. Um, you know, they've got every year they they seemingly have 
new, a great new freshman and incoming talent. No different this year. Uh, defenseman Stephen Davis and Iman Powell, uh, I think she played big minutes for Trevor Hunter uh, as a name to keep an eye on. Third round pick of the Bruins. Um, I think the early buzz is that he should have a pretty big role. So it'll be fun to watch him. Uh, and again, they have a great returning players. Marshall Warren, um, who we hope to talk to later in the season. Alex Newhook, who really came on at the end of last year. Uh, the Eagles are young. They definitely are young, uh, but they're super talented. And I think they, uh, they are easily the preseason favorite. Uh, so number two, I have UMass Amherst. Number three, Lowell. Four, Providence. Five, BU. Six, I have UNH. Um, again, that's definitely biased. <laughs> it's, it's a reach. But I think UNH uh, showed, made a lot of progress last season. They tailed off toward the end. Um, I, I, it's just a hunch, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, but I did like what some of their young talent did last year. And I think if they can come out on the right side of a few of those close games, this season, I think it'll make all the difference. I don't think they're as talented as UConn, my team at number seven. Um, but I did like the, I, I like the coaching. Um, I like the system in place. And uh, I expect um, a, a surprise season for the Wildcats. Uh, number seven, I have UConn. Number eight, Northeastern. Northeastern, that's probably too low for them. Um, <laughs> that is pretty low. It's low, but I also think they're overrated. I think they've lost a lot of talent. And it wouldn't surprise me if they had a bit of a comeback down to earth season. And then my bottom three, Maine, Merrimack, Vermont, are identical to yours. So we are largely in agreement for once. That is rare. <laughs> uh, okay, real quick, I want to give you the national polls, men's and women's, before we get out of here. Uh, and again, with the caveat that, particularly on the men's side, uh, there have not been a lot of games, but we're going to go through it anyway. Uh, number one, North Dakota followed by Boston College, Minnesota Duluth, Michigan, Denver at number five, Minnesota State, Massachusetts, or UMass Amherst, uh, number eight, Minnesota, and Clarkson, Ohio State, UMass Lowell, Quinnipiac, Providence, Wisconsin, Penn State, and then 16 through 20 are Northeastern, Western Michigan, Bowling Green, team to keep an eye on this year, Bemidji State, and BU. And then over to the women's side, I'll give you the top 10, Wisconsin coming in at number one, despite not playing any games. Northeastern, number two. Minnesota, number three. Ohio State, number four. Then Clarkson, Minnesota Duluth, BU, BC at 2-0. Colgate, number nine. And Mercyhurst, number 10. So there are your national polls. <laughs> like Mercyhurst? Yeah, I'm expecting, I'm expecting big things from the Mercies this year. <laughs> uh, okay, real quick, I want to give you the Nesson schedule. One more time, and again, uh, all of these games uh, are tentative and subject to change going forward. Uh, but we have a lot of good college sports on the Nest Networks this weekend that you should check out. And it all starts Friday at 2 p.m. with a women's hockey matchup between Providence and number seven, Boston College. Then at 6 p.m., men's hockey game between number seven, UMass, and number two, BC. Saturday at 4.30, men's hockey between, again, number two, BC, and number seven, UMass. And finally, Saturday night at 6 p.m. Or sorry, the Boston College UMass game at 4.30 p.m. on Saturday is on Nesson Plus. The rest of the games I've mentioned are Nesson, including 6 p.m. Women's Hockey's matchup between Holy Cross and UNH. And remember, all of our hockey's coverage on Nesson is brought to you by Rockland Trust, where each relationship matters. Uh, Logan, any parting thoughts for the audience? Uh, I was not prepared to give any. No, I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, I'm not either. <laughs> so I'm just putting you <laughs> Um, 
I mean, I hope the schedule continue starts. I should say, going off without a hitch. Oh, I, I, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but uh, you probably have heard by now. The bean pot has been canceled for the season, so that obviously is a bummer. Not a hockey East sanctioned event, but obviously probably the premier college hockey in season tournament. Uh, that's a bummer. There's no way around it. The bean pot's great, but you know we'll look forward to seeing it next season, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I'm disappointed. I, I was at every single uh, men's and women's beanpot game. Oh, yeah, you love covering that event. Mere, mere weeks before everything shut down due to COVID, which is horrifying, especially because I think I was sick during <laughs> some stretches of that. Hey, you know, we, we all were in those boats. I was at Disney World uh, a week before <laughs> everything shut down. So, I mean, who knows? Who knows what I was exposed to? <laughs> Super spreader Randall. Yeah, uh, I do – Funny anecdote. Again, that was a Disney World, like the first week of March. If you, I think the Rudy Gobert game. So bad. When the country changed uh, for the Rudy Gobert, it was like March fifteenth. Uh, I was at Disney the week before, um, and I was standing in line for Tower of Terror, and a woman sneezed on me. <laughs> and, and at the time, I was like, "Wow, that's pretty rude." And you know, but I wasn't seriously worried about coronavirus yet. I don't think most people were, but. Could you imagine now if a woman just sneezed on a guy would be throwing hands? Yeah. So uh, there, there's there's my Disney World coronavirus anecdote for you. <laughs> so as we all have, as we all have. So uh, with that, uh, I'll uh, we'll, we'll bid you adieu. And uh, again, tune into all the hockey's coverage this weekend on Nesson, and we will catch you next time on the next edition of the Nesson College Hockey Podcast. And hey, happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving as well. Thanks.